Hi, my name is Dan, and in this world, I'm a lot of things. A father, a son, a brother, a talk radio host. But one thing that I'm definitely not is a Star Trek fan. However, my brother Joey... That's me. He is a Star Trek fan, but only the original series. Live long and prosper. He believes that if I sat down and watched the original series, that maybe, just maybe, I could become a fan too. There's such great writing. How could you not? So for the next 79 episodes of this podcast, that's what I'll be doing. Watching every episode of the original series and coming here to discuss it after each one. So join me each week as I go through all 79 original Star Trek episodes. This is Attempting Trek. And welcome to another edition of Attempting Trek. My name is Dan. I am the one who was attempting to become a Star Trek fan by watching all 79 episodes of the original series. And with me, as always, is Star Trek superfan Joey. How are you doing? Hey, Danny. I'm really excited, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I love the projects that we're working on together, and I love this particular episode for all kinds of reasons i'm psyched to start talking about the naked time the naked time another interestingly titled episode i gotta say what's with these titles joey do you have any explanation there was one that had uh the man trap we had and now we have naked time yeah i don't really have any mm-hmm. um any background information on that i thought about looking that up a little bit but i I didn't really find anything easily so i just let that go um i my my i think when we get to uh towards the end of breaking down the episode we can probably discuss why they went in that direction of using those words but um (laughs) okay that would be kind of our, our guess all right. Okay. All right. So uh, another one that you're excited about. I think you've been excited yeah. about all of them pretty much so far. <laughs> I don't think there's been one where you're like, well, this one's just okay. I think everyone's like, oh, I'm excited about this one. So is there anything that you want to talk about with The Naked Time before we start breaking it down, before I start going into the show and, and, and eventually we get to my thoughts on it? Yeah, um, a couple of uh, a couple of little things. Um, sure. This one first aired on September 29th. 1966 Mm. and uh, this was the first episode that really started delving into character development um, of all of the main characters and um, you know we see we start to really understand who the characters are now for people like you and me that have seen the show you know in bits and pieces or in big chunks or however you want to describe how you viewed it over the many many years for us, it's like, oh, it, it kind of makes sense, or maybe it fills in some holes of what you thought was a person's character or background or something like that. Back then, nobody knew anything. Nobody, you know, no the viewers, maybe even the writers probably didn't even know why is Spock acting the way that he behaves? And to what extent is Sulu's participation, his contributions, and Scotty exactly, and you know, so on and so forth. So I think this episode really kind of opens that stuff up. And um, I don't know if that was the original reason that they opened it up that way, but I still think it serves uh, the viewers well and the show well going forward. Now you start to really understand the foundations of of, of the main characters, and um, I think it's great. 
Okay, well, I, I will tell you, when it comes to this episode, one thing that I'm noticing, and it's, it's, it's obviously it's because of what we're doing here. I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I don't know anything else, even though I've seen all of the movies and I've definitely seen a few episodes here and there. But I am kind of watching it and I'm noticing the progression of the characters because we're not quite to the point where we're with that typical crew that you would see, that you're used to seeing. They're still... I don't know, just random seemingly characters that are that are hanging out on the bridge that I, I've never seen them before. But I am noticing that the characters are kind of falling more into shape uh, as to yeah. what it is that I'm used to. And, and yeah, I, this one definitely kind of goes a, a big step forward as far as that goes. All right, so let's let's get uh, let's get to breaking it down, huh? Okay. All right, so we're, as we start out, we're orbiting Psi two thousand. Which is some frozen planet that's about to explode. And the mission here is to meet with uh, some sort of science team that's already hanging out there. And then, hey, watch the explosion. Enjoy the fun of a planet that's not going to be there anymore. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, that sounds like a good time to me. I mean, hopefully everyone else has been evacuated off that planet. Well, they're going to go down and make sure that everyone is, aren't they? Well, they're going to go down there to this science team, but I'm just thinking anybody else, like, you know, whatever indigenous people that might be on the other side of the planet, you know, some animals that might be running around, polar bears, space polar bears, whatever might be over there. I don't know. Right. But they <laughs> they go down there, and it's it's Spock, and it's uh, – oh, Joe is the other guy. Joe. Oh, good old Joe. Good old Joe. And, okay – here we are now presented with, I hope I see these again, some very ridiculous-looking hazmat suits. Yes. They are wearing, like, yeah. red, and, like, they're all red, and they've got these yellowish designs all over them. They're really kind of, it's like someone said, all right, let's get a hazmat suit and then just make it kind of goofy. That's what they look like to me. Yeah, I can't I can't argue that. Um, I kind of look at it, you know, uh, obviously as more of a, uh, apologetic type of person for the show. We know that I'm uh, I'm biased and you know towards it, but I will say whether I'm biased or not. I mean, it is 1966. Well, you, you listen, know, how many it, people have seen uh, you know what those <laughs> uniforms are supposed to look like, or, uh, or even spacesuits, right? Oh, you, you you don't have to apologize for it at all. I I yes. don't hold it against yes. the show at all. I'm aware that I'm watching 1966 television, and yeah. that's that, that's all. Fun. It doesn't. It doesn't take me out of the story. It doesn't detract. It's just something that's funny to talk about. Those suits look silly. Now They do look silly, and they also don't look incredibly safe. They really don't. They don't yes. look like they're completely secure no. all no. over the place. No. They really aren't. <laughs> and even though they don't look that way, I, I, I'm going with the idea that they are. I'm putting that in yeah. my head, that these are very secure suits that they're wearing. It's future yeah. technology going on here. Right. And so as they're as they get as as Joe and Spock are looking around this place. Yes. Where they're supposed to be meeting the science team, the whole place is frozen. Everybody is frozen to death. There's a right. guy in the shower who's frozen to death wearing all of his clothes. It's a bizarre, weird scene. And so while Spock is in the other rooms poking around trying to figure out what happened, what does Joe do? That's completely yeah. ridiculous to me. Yeah, right. He takes off his glove, and as soon as he does, 
As soon as that glove comes off, I said, oh, this is a problem. This is a, <laughs> this is a bad idea. And my initial thought is that, well, Joe's probably going to die now. Like, I'm thinking he's not going to make it back to the ship. He takes his takes his glove off, and he's feeling around, and he's scratching his face for a second. Well, his like, nose was itchy, Danny. Oh, and it, What's the fella going to do? I, I know. I know. And I'm just looking like, oh, Joe, you're so done. It's Don't so take bad. off that glove. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, you would think that they would have some sort of training before you go on a five-year mission that you're going to be floating all the way out into space to different planets and different places. Don't take off the hazmat suit, okay? Don't take any of it off. It all stays on. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he. I got to tell you, I watched this episode probably four times since the last one we did. Oh, wow. And by the time I got to the last time watching it, it didn't bother me as much. It still is ridiculous, as you said. There's no question <laughs> about that, right? Yes. But, you know, I started looking at it, and I'm like, you know, here's what, here's what happened. It's still ridiculous, mind you. But now at least I kind of understand it. So his nose gets itchy, but just before his nose gets itchy, the uh, device that he was using to, you know, capture specimens or whatever it was he was doing, it wasn't working right. So he puts that down, and he's, while he's still thinking about the device and, you know, why isn't this thing working right, that's when he scratches his nose or rubs his nose. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and he just picks up the thing as if he has a new idea about, oh, well, let me try a different kind of But I think he's distracted. It still is ridiculous, mind you. But I think at least now I kind of understand that there's something that almost makes sense about it. That's fine. I said, I said almost. Yeah, that's, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very important almost, by the way. Now, Joe then takes that device and he goes and he installs it somewhere. And while he's reaching around yeah. uh, a console, some, I, you know what? I honestly didn't know what it was at first. It's water. But at first, I'm thinking, is this an alien thing? Honestly, I thought it was like a virus right. or something, or maybe a, some right. sort of alien thing that goes, that just gets into his hand. It just kind of rolls onto his hand. Kind of, and it, it doesn't I, roll. It gets, it jumps. It, it goes sideways onto his hand, and yeah. Well, now he's got uh, some sort of, I don't know, some sort of space thing, some sort of space virus. Something with a cool rattlesnake sound effect that we're going to hear over and over again <laughs> as the as the virus spreads. <laughs> They're going to make sure we know that, uh-oh, someone else has caught the contagion. Yes. And all right, so Spock and Joe, they go back to the spaceship. And I, I got to tell you, at the Enterprise, they seem to do things properly because they come okay. back and they have Scotty uh, decontaminate them. And then yep. they go to sickbay to have McCoy check them out, make sure everything's yep. okay. This yep. this seems like pretty good standard procedure. I was impressed. Like, all right, even though Joe's a dope, at least <laughs> at least the procedures are in place, right? Right, right. <laughs> and by, all right, so then when they're visiting with McCoy, I I'm gonna guess this is the beginning of a lot of this happening is McCoy, for some reason, needs to toss out some derogatory comments and attitude regarding Spock's anatomy being Here different than go. humans. Your blood pressure is practically non-existent. Assuming you call that green stuff in your veins blood. The readings are perfectly normal for me, Doctor. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yep. Get used to that. He loves to do that. <laughs> and, you know, he, he makes a crack about his blood being green, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure... 
that that's ever confirmed in the original series. Now, I want to find out as we continue to watch it if it is, but that joke comes up an awful lot from uh, from McCoy, and who knows, maybe some other random guest star or something like that, but mm-hmm. I just don't know that I ever that's ever confirmed that his blood is actually technically green. Mm. So while... We do find out that his, his, uh, his blood pressure is practically non-existent, and that his pulse rate is 242. Which is pretty high. Yeah, yeah. But as he, Spock says, the readings are perfectly normal for him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wonder, does McCoy know this? It kind of, it, I think he does. He kind of, when he, in that scene, when he's talking about it, he's very tongue-in-cheek. Yes. So I think he does know that that's probably normal for him. But at the same time, I think he doesn't know how to fix Spock if Spock's in trouble. Okay, yeah. All right. I would I would go along with that. I would absolutely go yeah. along with that. Uh, and now, right. also in this scene is where we hear Joe and his thoughts about what happened, going down there yep. and seeing a bunch of dead people. And he's really shaken up over it. He's really kind of disturbed about what's going on. Uh, Kirk is in the room with him as well and kind of gives him a little bit of reassurance. We get a nice close-up with, a, with, that, with that charming... Kirk smile as he's letting him know everything's going to be okay. Hey, it's all right. Just uh, it's going to be all right. What do you now, think about that? I I, I don't know. I, I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine with with a lot of things with Kirk so far. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm really I, I'm very high on Kirk. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So great. I, I I know you were after the last episode. Yes. And I want to. I I I'm paying special attention to that because I know. Of all of the characters, all of the actors on this show, the one that stands out the most, obviously, is Shatner. And you and I have commented, you know, off the air, in our private lives, many times over the many decades we've been alive collectively um, about him as a as an actor and as a uh, human sure. being. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So, right. So I'm definitely extremely interested to see mm-hmm. now that you go all the way back to just about the beginning of his acting career. I mean, not, but just about. And, and see what you think. But, okay, so I'll continue to, to quiz you on that as we go. All right, that's that's totally fine. And this is yep. where I believe the first time we hear the rattlesnake sound effect as Joe looks at his hand, and it seems like it's itchy. Like he's holding it, and he's checking yeah. his palm out, something's going on. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. Kirk has a conversation kind of wondering, well, what? wait, now, did what happened down there to all the dead people, could that affect anything that's going on with what we're doing up here? And in this little conversation that they're having, Scotty is there and and assures them, listen, if there's a problem, we can get out of here in half a second. And my engines can pull us out of anything. We'll be warping out of orbit within a half second of getting your command. That's all I need is half a second and I can get us out of here. No problem. So, okay. That's important information. That is incredibly valuable information. All right. All we need is a half second notice if things go bad, because after all, there, there could be some weird virus that was down there. Also, we're hanging around a planet that's going to explode in a little while. So we got to be careful with what we're doing. Now, <laughs> here's our first great scene of this episode is where Joe is uh, going to try to eat. He's going to try to have a little meal in my, my I think it's my favorite location. Is this little this, this little cafeteria, this little commissary area that they have? Yes, yeah, yes. It was in Charlie X. That's where. That's Uhura, right. You Uhura, brought that up then too. Yeah. yeah, it was great. I didn't see as many people just hanging out, 
But also, what I love about this scene, all right? So Joe is there. He's got his food, but he's still really freaked out about not only about what happened down down on the planet, but you know, he's looking at his hand. Things are something's wrong. He's not entirely he's sure. Trying to what wipe it is. something off, right? That's he what it looks like. It. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You'd think somebody would yeah. say something about it, but no. All right. Well, so, well, Sulu and Riley sit next to him, and they're so caught up in their own in their own conversation that they don't really seem to notice. But I'll tell you something else before we get to the next part that I know you're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. They actually explained, and they don't normally do this on this show. Things just, you know, it's not, this show is not big in, you know, into, you know, continuing storylines, you know, from, from show to show so much, like more like you would get in, in today's world. But they do explain that Sulu was a botanist and now he's, He's a helmsman. Oh my god! They, I, do. I, they they explain that, and I love it because yes, he was a yes. botanist in a, an episode or two ago. Yes, where, where we saw him in that yes. room with with the uh, with the puppet plant. Yes, <laughs> I yes, I love that reference. Yeah, Me too. A couple of weeks ago, he's in a botany, and now he's a sword <laughs> fighter. What's going yes. on? Yeah, I know. I loved it too. I didn't. I couldn't believe that they did that. Once again, the quality of the show was like blowing me away a little bit. It's like, wow, that's really just a little, just a little bit, right? Just like two sentences yes. from each actor, and that's all you need to to make you feel like, okay, you know, you care, you know, you yeah. care about what you're doing, Star Trek behind the people, uh, you know, whoever you are that are doing this this crazy thing. You know, all you want uh, out of your TV show is some continuity, for goodness sake. And yeah. in the '60s, you really weren't getting a lot of it. So to have, like, that little strand from one show to carry over to another is really legitimately kind of neat. So This is not Batman, where all of a sudden Commissioner Gordon has a daughter who turns out to be Batgirl out of nowhere. (laughs) Why is that? I don't know why that's happening, but yeah, I mean, sure. (laughs) Hey, it was the same year, 66, Batman. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's the shows that they're going up against. They're going up against... You know, Bewitched and the Green Hornet and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> not not that there's anything wrong with those shows, but the, and those no. shows are I, I would watch any one of them. But this show goes to another level in terms of <laughs> how sophisticated they try to write things out. I think this is the first time that someone was trying to exalt Star Trek by bringing up uh, the Green Hornet and Batman. I think I don't think that maybe those aren't before. the best examples <laughs> I could bring up. Huh? Maybe not. So I'll anyway, work on that. I'll work on that argument. Thank you. So Sulu and Riley are, are, are they, they walk in right after Joe and they're having their conversation. And then they the conversation, they notice that Joe doesn't seem to be doing all right. Hey, is there something wrong with you? And Joe starts going into this this depressing thing that's that's uh, that, that's going on with him about his experiences on the planet. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but they were playing 3D chess. Or as you like to say, it's just chess. Oh, I didn't even know that they were playing chess. No kidding. Yeah, well, it was not the three of them, but as they walked into into that room, into the cafeteria room, whatever it is, they walked by a man and a woman who are playing chess. Oh, my God. You know what? I probably saw it and just didn't think about it because I'm just so (laughs) used to it just being, you know, oh, it's it's Star Trek chess, space chess. Yep. Okay, very cool. All right. So in, as Joe is railing on about the the waste of time that they're doing up there, all how they're not helping anything and that they should be minding their own business, he pulls he pulls out his I don't know. It it seemed 
like a pretty serious butter knife that he had in his hand, and he's brandishing at Sulu and Riley for a second, and then he decides to stab himself, and now Sulu and Riley are struggling with Joe to get the knife away, and they do, but unfortunately Joe cuts himself. Now, we also learn here, though, that uh, that Riley has picked up the rattlesnake virus as well. Dun-dun-dun. Now, back on the bridge... You've got Kirk and Spock. They have a little conversation about Joe's breakdown, and at the same time, at the same time, uh, Sulu and Riley are both, you know, they're hearing uh, rattlesnakes while they're on the bridge. Yes, yes. I, I just had a correction. They weren't actually playing chess. I know I said that, and I shouldn't have said that. They were playing some other game. It looks like three-dimensional checkers, but there's a 3D oh chess set next to them. Oh my so. god. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sorry, but I just wanted to make sure that I was more clear. Well, you know, it's a good thing that you did that, because if you didn't, somebody else would point it out to you. Someone else would yeah. say something. No, 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 uh-huh. I hate to break it to you. They were playing 3D Othello. Please get it That's correct. Right. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Ha ha would be Mr. Corrector person <laughs> or Mrs. Ha ha ha. That, yeah. All right. <laughs> so meanwhile, over in sickbay, McCoy is working on Joe. Because he's got that wound going on from the knife, the knife wound. It doesn't seem like it's it's that big a deal. Although it's a big enough deal that we've sedated Joe, we've put him under, and that McCoy's got some serious operation going on. And even though McCoy says it's a it's a simple wound, Joe dies. He yeah. dies during the operation, and McCoy really he literally cannot figure it out. And he he sits there and he watches him die because he doesn't know what else to do. Like he watches all of those levels go yep. all the way to the bottom and, and yeah, there's a brief moment of him just watching it and not doing anything. Because... How about Nurse Chapel helping him there? His levels are dropping, Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. The, the, the monitor is telling me that, man. <laughs> She's really helpful there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It, it's a huge monitor that's it's very big and obvious with a very easy-to-read thing. Yes, I, I don't... It has sound effects yeah. for, the, for the heartbeat. It does. Like... It does. I don't know what she's doing there. <laughs> Someone, yes. someone needed uh, to have some lines for that uh, for that scene, I guess. He's dead, Doctor. Okay. Okay. So th- we also learned from Spock that um, as the planet's dying, it's it's going to start affecting the ship. It's going to pull it closer, and they need to be careful about this because the last thing they need is to get pulled into a planet that's not going to be existing for too much longer. So just just keep that in mind, okay? I hope that that's a warning to you, all right? Okay, thank you. All right. Now, at, at this moment in time, Sulu decides, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Uh, <laughs> while, I'm, so while, I'm, while I'm here flying the ship on the bridge, here's a great idea. Let's go get a, let's get a workout going here. Come on, Riley. Let's it's go work so out. weird, yes. It is, compl- it is completely bananas. It's as though he just went wacky. Hey, you know what? Let's get a work on. Let's get a workout going. I can't think of exactly how he says it, but it's hilarious. It's a, he, I, sa- he says he's sweating like a bridegroom. That is and the first. So does Riley, thing. and then he says, "Hey, why don't you come down to the gym with me?" <laughs> yeah, yes. He says, "Let's work off some we'll steam. Take the edge off. Take the edge off. That's what it is. It'll take the edge off." I'm sweating like a bridegroom. Yeah, me too. Why don't you come down to the gym with me? Give him a lad. Now? Why not? 
light work, I don't take the edge off. <laughs> but it's clear, though, at this point, though, to be fair, yes. I mean, it is weird, but he's been infected. He's been infected by Riley. Oh, well, it's by obvious Riley. that it is the infection that is causing this change in behavior. It's unquestionable. Yeah. There's no doubt oh, about yeah. it. No, no, no. Yeah. No, we don't know Sulo to be some sort of off the wall lunatic, and this is well, just, we know seems... him as a botanist. To be fair, <laughs> yes, we know him as a botanist. That's true. <laughs> uh, we have we, then we switch over to where uh, Kirk learns about Joe being dead. McCoy is talking to him about it, and McCoy tells him, "Look, I it was a simple wound. He shouldn't have died." Kirk tells him that, "Hey, look, that's not good enough." I want you to check the impossible. This is yes. A- I love that. I love that. He says I've checked everything possible. Then and then Kirk says, "Then check everything that's not possible." Yeah, I it, love that. It, I love it too. This is the second time that I've heard him, uh, you know, hold McCoy accountable. Well, we're doing everything as possible, Bones. I want the impossible checked out too. Because he holds him accountable in the episode with uh, McCoy's old girlfriend. He kind of also gives him a hard time about things. He gets annoyed with him about uh, how how he's not solving Kirk's problem, the Enterprise's problem. Okay, so let me let me ask you about that because I'm because I, I like I mentioned earlier, I'm interested in your analysis of of the Kirk character at this stage. Are you surprised that he is such a tough guy with his closest people? Yes. Is, is that where? Yes. Ah. Yeah, the fact that you know he would tell him, "Listen, that's not good enough. You need to do better than this." I haven't, I'm not familiar with that with, with him uh, treating people like McCoy that way. But it's great. Okay, I love it. Right, and, and I, I'm guessing it's because you're, as we discussed in the first uh, couple of podcasts of attempting Trek, we talked about your history and your, you know, your experience with the show. It's probably you. You pull more from the movies. Than you do from the actual show, like we're doing Absolutely. now. And by the time you get to the movies, they are old people. They're old friends. They, yes. you know, they got forty years of experience, and so, so then this is kind of like is it? It's I don't know that it's a shock, but it is like whoa. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's, it's a little like whoa. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. It's like whoa. Okay. That's right. Okay. Cool. That's very very cool. Okay. All right, so back on the bridge, we have Spock saying, hey, Riley, what happened to Sulu? And this is where Riley decides that it's his turn to get wacky. And so he just starts spouting off about how being an Irishman, he's worth a thousand of a thousand Spocks. And Spock immediately, I mean, yeah. immediately relieves him of duty. All right, that's enough. You haven't answered my question. Where is Mr. Sulu? Have no fear, O'Reilly's here. And one Irishman is worth 10,000. You Mr. Riley, Lieutenant Uhura, take over the station. Like, Riley just, get, get, as soon as he starts getting lippy, Spock is not tolerating it for, I don't know, four seconds. It's impressive at, at how quickly he had enough. Yes, it, he had enough. And it's also, <laughs> and he's also not assuaged in any way. By Riley saying, have no fear, Riley's here. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's supposed to make you feel better? <laughs> I'll tell you what else is funny, Danny. Yes. Before that, before that, when Sulu slipped away to, you know, because he got all excited about, you know, going to do the light workout. Yes. <laughs> he literally snuck off the bridge. 
Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. He kind of, yes, he, he like sneaks out. <laughs> he sneaks out of the bridge. There's like six people on the bridge total in this, what, you know, it's like the size of my basement. Yeah. You know? It, it's not really a sneak outable situation. Yes. You would think. Right. And so that Spock is so, you know, caught up in whatever it is he's doing with his science officer duties that he's like, what? What? Whoa, what up, Rasulu? <laughs> <laughs> so now Sulu's gone. Now he's going to get rid of Riley. Yes. And what do you think about how he handles this? Uh, I, I think well, I, I think he lost his patience really very quickly. I, I would have gathered that he might have asked a question or two before he kicked him out. I, I I thought he was a little quick to get to that point where it's like, all right, that's enough. You're relieved. I would have thought that maybe, unless he immediately recognized, all right, there's something wrong with this guy. I need to get him See, out of here. that's what I think. I think because he says report to sick bay, I think he I don't think he gets frustrated. I think he immediately assesses that he's not well. And he already knows about he's already, he already has the information because he was on the planet. He saw how those people, you know, uh, the, the, the dead people that were down there. He knows what's happened with Joe. And perhaps he's developing other theories that he hasn't figured out yet completely. But now he sees this. Sulu's gone. Now this guy is acting crazy. You need to get the heck out of here. And we're going to put Uhura in your place, and uh, you know we're just well, going to move on. I well, think that's I I yeah I don't think there's emotion. I think it's this is the right move. It's well, a chess move. He he yeah. does also just sort of uh, the, uh, some other moments of him where he's yelling at you know people in in the hallways as well who are you know obviously gone wacky. Oh yeah. Or, and uh, I, I yeah. you know I'm thinking why are you wasting your time? Like why are you even saying anything? Just you just just ignore this and, and move on to what you're doing. But anyway, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Some of those. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this is where Riley is. Then uh, he walks. He's in the hallway. And by the way, that narrow opening is still there. I, I see. Oh, it. right. It's, right. It's still there. Uh, Riley heads on over to sick bay. Decides it's time to hit on Nurse Chapel a little bit, and also time to give her the the alien virus. Time to go ahead and spread that around. And. <laughs> This is where we get. I'm gonna guess our most memorable moment of the show is 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 our next moment. Um, of this yeah, epi- I want to talk about that. Of this episode, this is gonna be. I have a feeling this is one of those moments that's probably you know talked about when people talk about Star Trek moments or if they do a montage. This is always gonna be in there, and I'm talking yeah. about the appearance of a shirtless Sulu jumping <laughs> around with a sword. Yes. In the middle of the hallway, he comes yes. across a couple of crewmen and then he's, to, you know, they, he, he, well, basically he just chases them away after being incredibly bananas for a few moments. Chases yes. after him with a sword. They run away. He laughs, calls them cowards, and then heads somewhere else. Uh, and and yes. I'm sorry. What is it that you want to say about this? Oh, there's so many things to say. Um, so, so you'll have to engage me for a few moments here. Um, you know, so, so George Takei in this moment, it's, it's, I, it's, first of all, it's incredibly iconic. Yes. Like at, going back to myself as a child in the 70s, if I was going to buy like – I remember buying like Star Trek puzzles and things like that. Anything that had sort of pictures, this, there was going to be some picture of Sulu with the sword shirtless. <laughs> it, it's, just, it was, it's just when you think about Star Trek – you, this is one of the images 
that probably you know is in that is in that you know uh, that wallet full of photos. You know, if there's yes. like six photos, this is probably one of them. And you don't know why. You don't know what it's about. It seems wacky. It seems old school or whatever. But like, yeah. So that's so that's that. But I have a background story about this. So George Takei uh, playing the part of Sulu here. Um, so he was a runner. And he ran all the time. He was always he was a nervous guy, and um, what he would do is run, you know, five, six, ten miles, whatever it was, every day. He lived in uh, in in L.A. in Hollywood, and um, that's how he would relieve the the stress. And when he got this part, so he was a bit actor, and at the and, and at the time in the '60s, people that were of Asian descent, if they got any any roles, not just in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, going, you know, because of World War II and everything, if you had an Asian look, um, then you were likely to be cast in uh, a not, a not a great role, right? Um, mm-hmm. So he was excited about the possibility of being on Star Trek when he started learning about it more and more, and because he was a bit actor, um, to get to be on a show that might actually last was exciting. But on top of that, he wound up getting this the the script for this. So back then they would they would send you a bunch of scripts to your house, is how he wrote about it in his book. And so he, you know, there would be literally a courier that would knock on his door and he'd, you know, come down and open up the door and the guy would give it to him and boom. So he goes through like three or four scripts after the pilot was after the pilot was sold. He gets like three or four scripts. And he finds this one, and he couldn't believe it. He was so excited about the character the, the development and all of the, the stuff that went into you know, him working with the sword and everything. He had no idea about how to work with the sword. Now, week, a few weeks earlier, he had been uh, approached by the writer of this episode who kind of said to him on the side, hey, listen, because you know, you know, they, they do shoot, as you know, they do shoot TV shows and movies out of sequence. Sure. So lots of times other other actors are sort of like sitting around while they're waiting for their turn to go. Lots of times when they're shooting episodes like this one in particular, uh, they may not even interact with the stars of the show. They're there on, you know, X, you know, X day and Y day, and they're there to shoot their thing, and they don't get to see what happens on Z day, you know. So... He, he's approached while he was probably, I don't know if it was during the man trap or it was probably during the pilot. And the, uh, the writer comes up to him and says, listen, I'm thinking about this idea for Sulu in the future about maybe doing something with a, with a sword. Do you have any history, any experience with that? He had none. He was, Oh yeah. <laughs> of course. I, I, a, yes. Right, right, right. That's what he I would have said. Learned, yes. I can do all kinds of things. I'm all into that. What a great idea. And um, <laughs> so he quizzed him about it a little bit, you know, right. you know, should it be, should it be more, you know, you know, rigid or should it be like the swashbuckler kind of thing? Oh, I would definitely go with the swashbuckler thing, you know, the whole Errol Flynn, uh, uh, Basil Rathbone thing. Now that's a movie that you're familiar with, right? Sure, that's that. Uh, that's um, Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you? What is it that you know about that? Because you're Radio Dan, you know everything. <laughs> what do I know about? I've seen the movie. That's what I know. I don't yeah. know. But like, but it came out like in the 30s or something. Yeah, that came out in 1939, and it is sort of the definitive Robin Hood movie. And it does finish with a big epic sword fight between Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone. Okay, and who's who? Who's who's Errol, Errol Flynn, Errol Flynn would be uh, Robin Hood, and uh, Rathbone is your Sheriff of Nottingham. Okay, all right, all right. So 
he when he realizes what's going to happen here, he has no experience. He's, so so the writer, uh, John Black, has already written this episode, and Sulu is going to run through the ship crazy with a sword. So he's like, oh crap, I got to go and figure out how to, you know. I told him that I could do this sword thing. You know, I got to figure this out. So he goes and he, he finds some guy in Hollywood who is a fencing instructor. And he pays this guy, you know, uh, like every day or I don't know, five days a week, whatever it is. And he goes and he's fencing with this guy, learning how to, to fence. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Yes. Right. So he's all excited. He feels like this guy's helping him. The guy's name was Faulkner, and he was a man in his late 60s, but he was actually still in great shape. Uh, nonetheless, he started to realize, Sulu did, that uh, fencing was a lot harder than he expected. He thought because he was a runner, <laughs> he was a very good runner. He ran up and down hills and everything like that. He ran by the Hollywood, by the Hollywood sign, by the letters, which is, you know, if you've ever been out there, it's far away. <laughs> it's tough to get to. Um, and he would work out with this guy, and he would have to ask for breaks all the time. And what it was is that it, the, the, you know, it, he was using different muscles for fencing. It didn't matter. The legs didn't matter as much as the upper body did. Oh, of course. You know? Sure. That makes perfect sense. Right? You wouldn't think about it until we talk about it, right? Yes. Yes. Right. So he's asking one day. He's like, hey, listen, you know, can we, can we just take a quick break here? And he's like, you know, Errol Flynn made it look so easy. I used to pretend I was Robin Hood. You know, I, I never realized it required all these different muscles. And then the the teacher, whose name was Faulkner, he's like, you know, mm-hmm. he was pretty good. He was actually a real fencer. But, you know, Rathbone. And which one was Rathbone? Rathbone is the sheriff of Nottingham. He's the bad guy. It's like, yeah, he, says, he was a wild guy. He was really wild with his sword. You know, he couldn't be trusted. He And actually, Errol Flynn didn't trust him one bit. And then Sue was like, how do you know that? He says, well, I actually choreographed this sword play. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yes, yes. And not only that, he doubled for Rathbone in the fight sequences <laughs> because Flynn was so afraid of him. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So Sulu says, and I'm going to quote this from Sulu, from Takei's book. So I'm sorry, Takei says, you mean that was your back? I was watching in those shots of Errol Flynn clashing swords with Basil Rathbone? And Faulkner says, all except when you saw Rathbone's face. No kidding. That? That's pretty impressive. Yes. That's a great yeah, story right there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So now what so that's so now I have a second a second anecdote here. So this episode for Star Trek fans, I don't know about Trek definitely Trekkies and maybe like people that are, you know, between fans and Trekkies. Anybody that's read anything about Trek knows from this particular episode that Sulu, uh, I'm sorry, Takei was kind of a kind of an annoying guy during the, he was so excited with the with the with the foil that he kept running around and he was sort of maniacal about it and he and he had everybody all you know going crazy and even in <laughs> wikipedia yeah. there's there's a line in there about the fact that supposedly a delegate of people went and complained to the powers that be at star trek that Takei was out of control with the, with the oh, foil wow. so, oh wow yeah. yes 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 so that's the legend of Takei in Star Trek, in you know, at the, in, in this particular episode. So now, it's it is it's really hysterical, and that apparently he was just a complete menace, and that he had to be stopped. He was just so out of control. So basically, he became Rathbone. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess. Now, I will tell you in Takei's book. This is very interesting to me. In Takei's book, he addresses this and says, "You know what? I know that this is the legend." 
And I know, and actually here's how it became legend, there's a book called The Making of Star Trek. And, you know, one of the people that worked on Star Trek, you know, you know, wrote this many, 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 many years ago, decades ago, and wrote this stuff about Takei and how he was out of control. So when Takei writes his book, which is in the late 90s, he addresses this and says, you know what, I know this is out there, but let me tell you what really happened, okay? Uh-huh. When actors are waiting for their turn, for their scene to be shot, it's very, very common for people to... You know, be going through the motions of whatever it is that you're doing. You're behind a curtain. You're you're, you're you find a private room. You know, you're 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 doing your lines out loud. You're what you know, you're emotional. Whatever your your scene is, you're really putting your passion into it. In this particular moment, he was working on his fencing thing, and <laughs> uh-huh. so apparently he's behind some sort of a there's some sort of a curtain, black curtain that's behind him. Okay, and just as he so he's making all the noises. He's like, you know, moving his hand through the air with the foil, doing all this stuff. And James Doohan, and you know who that is? It's Scotty. That's right. So James Doohan, who he was already pretty good friends, pretty good buddies with uh, with Takei because they were not like the elite uh, actors on the show, right? So sure. They, yes. they sort of bonded together and like they were trying to like figure out the show together, whatever. So anyways, Doohan is like, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. And he pokes his nose <laughs> around the curtain yes. just as Takei is completely no, firing no. the foil full blast ahead and misses his uh, Doohan's nose by, by, by a hair, oh, by a couple of inches. I don't know, by God. really close. So Doohan goes nuts. <laughs> so he runs away. He's like telling people that Takei is out of control. And that's how the legend, you know, grows. So he's Takei. You know, in his book, is annoyed by the fact that he's he's cast as this guy who sure. was running around all over the set, you know, annoying everybody left and right, slashing coffee cups in half <laughs> out of director's hands and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. But really, but really, he was just you know privately doing his own thing, and as he and he even calls Duan in the book a busy nobody or some, something to that effect. And, a, a, uh, a busy nobody. That's a... He definitely. Yeah, or is it a busybody? It's oh, one okay. of those. Well, there's of... a difference between a busybody and a busy nobody. A yeah, busy yeah, body yeah. It's probably, just... yeah. I'm going to guess it's a Or a nosy guy. Yeah, okay. That's I'm going to go with, yeah. Let's go with busybody there. Let's give uh, George the benefit of the doubt because <laughs> a busy nobody is a little, a little harsh. That busy right, nobody. Right. Got no business around here. There's no way he was. He said that he was a nobody because he liked him too much, you know, through the years. Even at the time, he was sure, exactly, exactly. All right, right. So we can get right. back to the story now. We can move ahead. I think so, but that's good stuff, right? That is good stuff. That is definitely yes. good stuff. Yes. All right. So let's see. Uh, back on the bridge, uh, Kirk decides. All right, we need to have Sulu and Riley detained. So he sends the security, whoever security is that he's always calling for. Go get, go catch those two guys. And Spock starts to think about what's going on and, and says, all right, whatever it is, whatever it, that we're dealing with here, it's drawing out people's personalities. It's drawing out things that they have inside them, things that they actually want to be or things that they're actually feeling. And here's when we have uh, our first problem with the other thing that's going on, the planet that we're dealing with. The ship kind of shakes or really the camera kind of turns and <laughs> – Kirk decides, all right, we need to get out of here. And in our attempt to get out of here, in our half second to get out of here, there's no power. 
what has what has gone wrong? What's what's going on? But b- before we find out what's going wrong, that's when Sulu enters the bridge with no shirt but with a sword, and his idea is, I'm going to fight everyone. <laughs> that's yes. what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight everyone. He calls uh, he calls Kirk Richelieu. Which uh, three musketeers reference, by the way? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, okay. yes. Right. Richelieu right. is the bad guy in the Three Musketeers, and oh. a- and after they subdue him, Spock refers to Sulu as D'Artagnan, which is you know one of the musketeers. And also, all right, so he comes on there and he's going to fight everybody. And at one point, you know, Kirk jumps on top of him, and here is the first time that we we get the. Um, the the pinch thing that Spock does. Yes. How do you know that that's the first? Oh, well, just because you're watching the show. Because I'm watching the show. Yeah. This is the first time yes. I've seen it. I have not yes. seen it. Yes. And it was almost a, a little subtle than more than, than the other times than, than I've seen it, uh, in, you know, in, in, other, in other episodes or, or in the movies or wherever else I've seen it. But it, it almost really? seemed like you had to be paying attention. For, for that uh, to, to happen. But Kirk points it out immediately. You're going to have to show me how to do that one of these days. I'd like you to teach me that sometimes. Take D'Artagnan here to sickbed. Yeah, so I got some background on that. Oh, please um, give me some background on it because it is a really cool thing. Yes, yes. So, okay, so this is the famous Spock nerve pinch. And after... Uh, so, so what happened was, so Leonard Nimoy really is responsible for creating Spock more than Gene Roddenberry did. Gene Roddenberry created like this, the, you know, the, 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 the sort of like the, uh, the, the support structure of, of, of Spock and Leonard Nimoy filled everything in. Uh, so he is this guy who says, you know what? Um, here's what I think. I know I'm supposed to take Sulu down here, but I think Vulcans are too sophisticated to involve themselves in, in just, you know, silly fight scenes. You know, so I think we need to come up with something that's that's more creative. So I think that Vulcans should have this ability to be able to subdue people with the right touch around certain nerves in their neck because they can emit some sort of electrical impulses that if you put it, you know, if you do it right at the right moment in the right spot, you can take a guy out. Uh, it does require technique, and you know, a guy like Spock would have it. You know, he's been through the Academy. Sure. He's in a very special place. And um, so while all Vulcans potentially could have this as a, uh, as a potential, you know, uh, weapon in their arsenal, it, has, it probably has to be developed to a very, you know, high science. And so he comes up with the idea. And Mark Daniels is the director of this episode. This is the second one he's done. And so when Leonard Nimoy talks to Mark Daniels, says, you know, this is what I think that, you know, ought to happen here. And, you know, smacking this guy around, that's not, that's not why we have a Vulcan here. He's, he's better than that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I don't really get it. Well, Shatner immediately seemed to understand. Okay. Like, no, 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 it'll be great. So they, they did it, and then everybody was like, oh, yeah, that is really, really cool. Huh. So from that point forward, in the scripts, it would be, it would be referred to as FSNP as the famous Spock nerve pinch. Oh, no kidding. So yes. <laughs> so we really shouldn't even be calling it the Vulcan nerve pinch. It's the famous Spock nerve pinch. Well, you know, I guess <laughs> I, I guess it depends on how you're, how you're talking about the show. But yeah, it's FSNP. 
you know, in the scripts, and everybody loved it, and that is Leonard Nimoy's, you know, uh, probably first big stake, you know, uh, first big, uh, you know, uh, territorial, you know, grab that he gets of the character. He's like, no, I understand who Spock is more than anybody else. He's really like, um, what, what, what is it that we call um, actors like Robert De Niro? Method actors, right? Yes, method actor. Right, so he's probably an earlier version of a method actor, and uh, he was so into his character that he felt like he understood the character better than anybody else, and so he develops this, and everybody's on board, and look, it's just the fourth episode to air. Hey, let's just freaking do this. This is awesome. Okay, very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we have, uh, we've, uh, we've subdued Sulu, and you know what we need? We need power, damn it. So yeah, we sure do. Yeah, so let's call Scotty and find out what's going on. But oh wait, I'm sorry, we're not going to get Scotty. Instead, Uh-oh. we're getting Riley. And whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute. To be fair, yeah, it's Captain Riley. It is. At, yes, it is now Captain Riley. <laughs> and Captain Riley is a very wacky captain, and has decided that hey, you know what? Since I have, I have the calm. <laughs> essentially, uh, I'm going I have to be. I'm sorry. I have a question for you, though. Yeah. I mean, shouldn't it be like Shark Tank? If you get two sharks, it's better than one, right? Shouldn't it be like – now you got two captains, right? You have a crisis here. Shouldn't everything be better? Yeah. You'd have a captain on the bridge. You'd have a captain over in the engine room. Sure, where Riley is holed up. That would make perfect sense. You're right because those, those are the two places that you would want a captain to be, right? right. Absolutely. I, think, I would think – yeah, oddly enough, they don't seem to view it as as such a great thing. Since Riley no, decides he he's going to captain by announcing wacky things and singing some awful song a lot that's going to annoy Kirk most of this episode. Kathleen. Oh boy, that 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 is not a cue for you to start singing it. By the way, just so you know. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> now he does say that yeah. he's relieved. Scotty of his duties. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he has definitely, definitely tried to, you know, exhibit some of his power. Yeah, and uh, so, all right, we're having a problem because we're also learning that we have twenty minutes before this ship is going to get too close to this planet and burn up. Basically. No engine power, ship's out of control, and you can now put a clock on for the rest of this episode because all of a sudden, urgency has been introduced. Like, we have problems with this virus and people on board, but now we've got a real problem because the ship has no power and we're all going to die in 20 minutes. Yep. I like this, by the way. But remember what Scotty said. He did say... At the drop of a hat, he can get them out of it, uh, out of anything. Oh yeah, half a second, as I recall. Right. That's how much right. time Scotty only needs half a second. So right. all right, all we got to do is get control of the engine room. So we're all right. Here's yeah. what we're gonna do. We're we're gonna meet with Scotty. We're gonna find him, and he's gonna say, "Yeah, you know, Riley's in the engine room, and he kind of fooled me. He kind of tricked me into into leaving the engine room and uh, locked me out." <laughs> Yes. And considering how completely bonkers Riley has been since he's been infected, yeah, right. right? We have seen him on the bridge being wacky. We've seen him in the hallways. We see we saw him with Nurse Chapel. 
He can't contain it. I can. I want to know what is the conversation that Riley has where he's able to to keep himself under control long enough to lure to convince Scotty to leave. Well, that's not exactly what happens. I think. I think Scotty doesn't he say that uh, Kirk wanted them on the bridge. He told. Yeah, he told them something like Kirk wants you on the bridge. Something simple oh, like that. Riley told him. Yeah, Riley told them very something very simple oh. like that, and then he leaves. But I'm just thinking, Riley could hold it together to get that message out. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he ran in, is what he said. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That is kind of uh, <laughs> that is a little yeah. that is a little bit too um, you know you, you're gonna have to be a little bit more skeptical of what you're seeing. Yes. But you know, Scott, Scotty's an engineer. Uh, all right, that's fine. He's an officer, but he's an engineer. Okay. I don't know. That's uh, fine. All right, so uh, we have uh, McCoy. He's working on this whole virus thing with Sulu. He's trying to figure out what's wrong, which is very good. Please continue to work on the impossible, McCoy. This is what we expect out of you. Uh, meanwhile, we, we cut back to Scotty, who's now trying to get through the engine room using a phaser. This is the, the best way, is, is to cut through a section in the wall and to, I don't know, open the door that way. And I'm thinking, how is it that no one just decides to break the door down? Like, is the door is that serious of a door? I don't know. It, it, it must be, right? Yeah. It must be yeah. some steel door that they have. You'll see that. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You'll never see on Star Trek, I don't think. Okay. You'll never see anybody kicking a door down. Well, obviously. <laughs> a door shuts. And for whatever reason, I'm glad you brought that. I never thought about that until you just said it now. Uh-huh. But... For whatever reason, one of those, you know, well, not one, both of those doors shut, yeah. right? And you can't, you they're impenetrable. You have to do other things to get in. You could maybe blow up the floor or the ceiling, but you can't, you can't blow up the doors. Man, those doors must be, they must be serious. That's all I could figure. I was like, wow, if they're yeah. not trying to bust it down, because you'd think, yeah. all right, well, we'll just get something really big and we'll whack the door enough times. I mean, yes. they're on a timetable of 20 minutes to death. And hey. no one is trying to knock the door down. So, okay. That's fine. Now, also, here's where we get Spock walking through yes. the hallway. Yes. And there's some it, laughing it, crewman. And he's like, all right. Gotta, he, <laughs> he orders this guy to go to the lab. <laughs> as yes. though, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Do you think he's actually going to go? <laughs> Roman report to the lab. You think that's well, what's going to happen? What? I'll get- because I'm always the great, I'm always the great lawyer and defender of the show. Yes. I would say that look, there's like what 19 minutes left. Yeah, he's not going to bother escorting people to sick bay. He told him to go to sick bay, and the guy's like, okay. And then as soon as Spock walks two, three feet, you know, he continues to act like a maniac. He doesn't have time to mess around with him. Well, that's I, kind of well, I just don't know why he said anything to him. I just would have ignored oh, him. Okay, that's that's fair. That that's where I would have went with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now. Now, is this also where we see Spock with, uh, there is somebody who's harassing uh, uh, Yeoman Rand? Is that this? Hey, you got her name right. Yeah, I, I had to think of, I'll, I'll tell you what, I was thinking about it for a second. I'm like, it's Yeoman Rand. That's it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, there was somebody in the hallway that's like, that's bothering her. And yes. he orders that guy away, which you know, right. does, doesn't really actually work. That guy doesn't actually go well, anywhere. Well, it, it does for like a second. A second until Spock leaves. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's right back at it. And she's like, Spock? Spock? Yeah. And what's the, I think he's just singing to her, though. Yeah, he's he not is. Like, 
Yeah, he's not really doing it. He's just being annoying is what he's doing. Just yeah, like just yeah. like everyone else that's been affected by right. the virus, he he's annoying. The only person who had a bad time with the virus was Joe. He's the one who became depressed. Everybody else seemed to be seems oh, to be yeah, having a good time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, right. back on the bridge, everyone has the virus except for Uhura and Kirk. And Kirk can't take it. Kirk's like losing his mind dealing with all of all of the I don't know annoyances that are going on. Yes, it is very annoying to him, right? He, yes, he, he seems like he's just frustrated by everything. By everything, by but you've got yeah. Riley coming on the the intercom the whole time, just, yeah. you know, singing, it's really and being stupid. Him. It is. It's just eating him up. <laughs> right. So Spock goes to sick bay and runs into Nurse Chapel, who has been infected, as we discussed earlier. Wait, wait, wait! Before you go there. Before okay. you leave the bridge, yes. there's a great moment, I think, between Kirk and Uhura. I love this moment. It's one of the signature – for me, it's one of my favorite moments in the entire series. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So he's talking to her about cutting off the sound of Riley you know, communicating to the rest of the ship. Right? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Right, and so she can't do it, and he's like, "Listen, do it now!" And she says, "Don't you think if I could?" Like she starts to snap at him. Yes. And then you know, she stops, and then he like controls himself, and suddenly this crazy respect, admiration thing comes through between those characters. You get close-ups of each of of Shatner and Nichols looking at each other, and like they realize, okay. We both have to stay cool here. We both love and respect each other. Let's not tear each other down. This is a stressful moment. And I just think that it's, it's phenomenal that the way they looked at each other. Please try and cut him off. Sir, if I could cut him off, don't you think I... Sorry. There's another moment with, uh, with Yeoman Rand. She runs back into the bridge. She's escaped that, that other crazy guy mm-hmm. that Spock didn't help her with. Yes. And he puts her immediately in the helmsman position. Did you notice that? Yes. Yes. That to me is crazy. I'm not sure. And, I, and as we continue to watch, the, we, to, oh, or for, for me, the rewatch, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody else sit in that chair. Oh, no uh, kidding. Okay. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. There's probably been some guest stars that we'll see that sit in that chair, but to be like, you know, one of like a, a recurring character, that was like really weird. And she's really quote unquote, just a yeoman. And like, he just immediately shoves her there. Well, so that's fine. Well, that should show but you that, the, the desperation of that situation. All right. I need yeah. somebody to be here and do your best for right now until we right. can figure this out. Yeah. Right. 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 So now Kirk apologizes to her. Yes. To, to Uhura, I'm sorry, right? Yes. And then he's still listening to Uhura. I mean, I mean to uh, to Riley. He can't he can't shut him off. There's 12 minutes left, and um, <laughs> he hears Riley say he's, that he's going to do he's going to see Kathleen one more time. <laughs> I understand the frustration. I really do. I love, I'll tell you what, though. But I love the way you know. It's like at this point, you don't know Kirk that well. And he seems more serious than not mm-hmm. at this point, right? He's not yeah. a caricature. He's not a funny guy. He does have – he can smile. He's got an, an electric smile and everything. But he's a very, very serious guy. 
and he very he shows very little personality I think most of the time and when Riley says and I will do another rendition of Kathleen one more time <laughs> and he goes please not again <laughs> I just yeah. love that <laughs> that is one of my all time favorite moments of the entire series now bro I will render Kathleen one more time Please, not again. Is when Kirk says, please, not again. It's so <laughs> subtle. It's, I don't know if it's great acting. It's just, I don't know. It's just everything that's built up into the moment of who, who these people are. And to me, it's like, oh, that's so great. It's so classic. And he shows some some, humani- some humanity, some humanness of himself. I know that's not really a word, but you, I think you know where I'm going. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To this point, humanity I don't really word. know if he's a human. He's just like such a tough guy. He's like so on top of everybody. He's such a robot. In a lot of ways, you know, and he smiles at the right time. You know? He always he smiles at the his, right time. Yes, when that right. close up happens, he puts his hand on your shoulder yeah. at the right time. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like nothing is like it, it almost. It almost seems like he's programmed to be this perfect human, and and here at this moment, he just becomes literally human. It's like, oh, please not again. <laughs> <laughs> I just absolutely love it. So anyway, that was my thing. Sorry. All right, so let's move on to Spock over at Sick Bay with oh, Nurse Chapel. Yeah. And yep. Nurse Chapel grabs his hand, immediately gives him the uh, rattlesnake virus, and then she go. starts to hit on him. I'm in control of my emotions. The others believe that. I don't. No, I love you. I don't know why, but I love you. I do love you. Yeah. She says that she loves him. Now, I got to tell you, Joe, um, I'm noticing this is not Uh-oh. the first time that there's someone expressing love for Spock. We had Uhura hitting on Spock just a, an episode or two ago. So is there's just some sort of, I don't know, are the women walking around the Enterprise all just quietly, secretly wanting Spock to have some emotion just for them? Well, he definitely is an intriguing character for them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, look, yeah. he's not like the most physically, you know, imposing-looking person uh, in terms of physicality, but he exudes some incredible strength. He just exudes it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you you look at him and you go, ah, you know, he doesn't look like he's very, you know, he's not like he doesn't have huge biceps. He did, maybe he doesn't look like you know some guy that could throw people around or whatever, but you know that maybe you can somehow. Like, it's just yes. sort of a mystery, yeah. you know, about what he's about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we learn, mm-hmm. we're learning more and more of, of that stuff about him. But you're right. I was thrown, I was taken aback when we talked about, you know, Uhura exhibiting that for him. I had forgotten that. And now we definitely see Nurse Chapel doing that. And that's going to, yeah, you know, that's going to be a continuing uh, thing throughout the series. Ladies so, love, so have ladies love the mystery, Joe. Just let that be a lesson to you. Yeah. Now, it's funny because when this happens, I'm thinking, okay, it's good that Spock gets the virus because I was thinking this was going to be the way that they would figure it out. That Spock would immediately know, okay, I've got this, and he would somehow be able to help McCoy figure it out. I'm completely wrong about this. 
You thought he would figure it out? I thought he was the key to figuring it out and the fact that he had it and how it was he would be able to, you know, interpret how it was affecting him or how it is that he got it or or something. Like I, I don't right. know. So that in, that inner experience would help him understand it better. Right, exactly. Yes. That it, yeah, it, it okay. wouldn't overtake him as much as it does everybody else. I'm completely wrong about everything that I just said because <laughs> Sparks Spark actually he's freaking out because he's feeling emotion that he can't control. I'm in control of my emotions. Control. And it's it's really kind of great. It, it it I wonder how much more effective this episode would be if they had moved it back to, you know, one of the later episodes in the season when, you know, you've seen Spock as such a stoic character for the majority of a full season. And now this scene happens where he can't control his emotions. And he keeps, you know, talking to himself, trying to keep his emotions in check. You know, he's right. he's having this, this breakdown and he gets upset and he starts to cry. And, oh, my God, we don't need this. The last thing that we need. <laughs> okay, so wait. At what point are you saying he's crying? So now she's touched him. She's definitely told him, flat out, I love you. Right. Yes. And he's walking away. So where are you now in the episode? Uh, he is. Yeah, he's walking. Yeah, he leaves her. He's clearly upset, and he's standing in that doorway, and yeah. he's talking to himself, trying to tell himself to keep his emotions in check. Right. Don't right. D- so control let me, your emotions. Let me, control yourself. Right. So I'll, I let me give you the Takei's version of that. Right. So Takei was there that day. I guess I, I think it filmed this ep- this scene filmed the same day his did. So he was fortunate to be there that day, mm-hmm. which was not always the case. And he misses Shatner's um, uh, uh, appearance later in the episode. And he's very upset about that or regretful about that, I guess is a better word. But anyway, so nobody knows how Leonard Nimoy is going to handle this yet. Right. So they're figuring this all out. And Nimoy, Nimoy tells the director, Mark Daniels, you know, which room he's going to go into and so, all right, cut, uh, here we go, action, now, boom. And so here's Nimoy, and he starts stumbling down the hallway. He goes into the room, and he does his thing. And I'm not sure if that was a one-take shot that we saw. Yeah. It, it may or may not have been. But it was so moving for the cast and the crew that when he was done, they, they, did, they stood up and had a standing applause. No kidding. How cute. Yeah. I know. I know, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, to me, it's like, really? Like, just for, So for me to read this, it was like, wow. Okay, because I don't really know. I just know myself, obviously being a super fan, I don't know what's good and what is it, what's bad sometimes. You know, like, I don't always trust my own judgment on it. I know what I like, you know. And to hear that back, you know, then in, you know, 1966 before it ever aired and these people were still getting to know each other that this was how they responded to these things that was really pretty wild for me yeah and i'm i'm impressed that the crew that that cast would be that tight after just a few episodes especially considering you know i mean you basically you've got shatner and nimoy in the opening credits and then everybody else is just everybody else at this point I'm not sure that they knew that yet. We're going to get to that as the show develops, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that they completely knew that it was going to go in that direction. I knew that I know that they knew 
that Shatner was the undisputed star of the show. Oh, sure. Right. But outside of that, I don't think of people knew other things yet. Yeah. Right. They didn't know exactly what, what where Nimoy's role was going was going to go. I think that there was expectations for some of the other people that were higher, mm-hmm. and that things changed as the show went along. Um, but still, um, I think it was still all of these people getting together. They're all excited because they got they, you know the pilot got sold. And now they're doing their readings, and when they go through the readings, they're in, the, they're in this big old conference room, big old table, and everybody's just reading their lines. And you know the director's there, and Gene Roddenberry's there, and they're talking about, okay, well, this is what we think it's going to look like, and blah blah blah. And so when we start shooting, you know, next week, you know, we'll start with these scenes, and blah blah blah. I, to me, it sounds like a, it's a phenomenal experience, you know, at the time. Oh, you know? sure. Of course, it yeah. sounds like that way to you. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. All right. I yeah. Let's, yeah. So, let's... anyways, that's how they reacted to Leonard Nimoy's performance in this situation. I'm not sure for somebody else today if they would look at that and go, "That's dumb." <laughs> like if they would look at that acting performance and he's like counting, you know, he's doing, you know, times tables. Yes. You know, yeah. To, right. All right. So um, in, in that scene, and and there's a continuation of it. Um, yeah. Also, which we don't have to get into, but I thought he's really good. I thought it was really good. Did you? Yeah, I did. I was. I, I thought it was oddly affecting. Like I, I felt something in the in those moments for him, as okay. all of a sudden he had this these flood of emotions come through that he did not know how to deal with. It was great. It's maybe the best part of the of the show, actually, of this episode. Oh yeah, you think so? Yeah, I think so. Really? Huh. Okay, so you think then that that was a good acting performance? There's no question about that's what you're saying. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Yeah, I mean, you know, playing a guy who has who has little emotion and all of a sudden has an onslaught of it, and and yeah, I thought it was great. I really did. Okay, yeah. okay, well, that's great to hear. All right, all right. So uh, we get back to Kirk. He's in the engine room finally. Scotty's almost done breaking in. Then they they get in. And uh, they grab Riley very, very easily. We saw we saw this problem very, very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like as soon as they cut in, Riley's like, "Yep, the jig is up. What are you gonna do?" So they have. A By mo- the way, we are we are slightly out of sequence. It doesn't really matter, but like you know, what we're talking about now yeah. happens just before the whole spot breakdown. But it's sort of I think it's simultaneously. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? it, it starts and then there's this scene and then there's more of it. Yeah. So right. wherever. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Anyway, Riley is hauled off. We go back to Spock. That's when he's, you know, there's more of his emotional breakdown that's going on. Uh, back in the engine room, we have a new problem. Because just because we've gotten in and we've taken control of the ship again, that's that, that's oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, however. We got a big problem. It's a big problem. The ship's engines are completely off. And according to Scotty, we need 30 minutes to warm those puppies up. And we got about six. And, and by the way, uh, even Eight. though even though we did not have one when we went to the planet, we do get in the engine room a nice matte painting in the background. <laughs> do we? Yeah, I didn't notice. That. Yeah, it's 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 behind them. It's it's of you know engine stuff like big giant turbine things. <laughs> <Engine stuff. laughs> yeah, whatever it is, it's like big giant. I don't know yeah. pipes and stuff that's going on in the background. And I I looked at it I was like, God, oh, it's pretty good. Okay. That's a good matte painting they got in the background there. So 
Sulu now wakes up with a scream. He's back to normal. McCoy has oh, yeah. figured it out that it's it's space water and that it affects people like like alcohol. That's how he the comparison he gives it to. But you know right. what's what's, it's a what's pretty bad out of comparison? I it, think it is a terrible comparison and also terrible yes. is that he gets on the intercom and he's talking to somebody who is clearly compromised by this virus and is not paying attention yes. to anything he's yes. saying. And he's <laughs> all he's doing. He's giving out this exposition for us, the audience. McCoy to bio. We've isolated it. Start preparing serum. What doctor? <laughs> it's water. Somehow on this planet, water's changed to a complex chain of molecules. What's that, doctor? Well, this is what it is. It's uh, the virus, and it enters, and it's water, and it affects you like alcohol, and blah, 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 blah. And the guy is obviously not helpful, not listening, not going to do what he says. But, all right, right. I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay, that's fine. Good for you, McCoy. There are smarter ways that happen today. Yes. How to do that, right? To, <laughs> to you know, to to <laughs> bring the audience along, yes. You know, than that. That's stupid. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yes. That that actually compromises the character of McCoy. <laughs> <Don't you think? laughs> I guess it does. I mean, Mister Robot is not going to do that today. Uh, no, that's not happening on an episode of Mister Robot. That's correct. No, you're right. No, <laughs> they're not going to no, do that. No, no. And I'm okay with it back then. You know, you're figuring stuff out, and you know, it's all without right. without this, you may not even get to Mister Robot today. But that's another conversation. But you know, I just think that that it's funny. It's stupid. Um, totally agree with you on what you've said. All right. So Kirk now finds Spock. Because he needs advice yes. on how to start oh, the engine. I love this scene. I love this scene. But Spock is still an emotional mess, and so in yes. order, to, and so Kirk keeps telling him, "Listen, we need to find a way to get the engines to start. I don't know what to do. I need your and help." He's getting physical. And yes, he starts getting physical because he's Spock is his, not. He's putting his arms on his shoulders. Listen to me, as I'm, and at the same time, which is really interesting about the way Shatner acts as a as an actor he's very very physical he's got his hands on you and he's telling you this information at the same time if you go back to the second pilot where no man has gone before in that in in that final scene where he's fighting against gary lockwood right he's got the big old uh the 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 super rifle that we never see again oh that's right yeah no the laser rifle i think it's called right he's screaming to um the other actress, I forget her name. The other, the other one that had the same power that Gary Lockwood had, and he's screaming to her while he's like ducking and fought, trying to fight Gary Lockwood at the same time, and he's screaming all of these like really sort of knowledgeable, you know, pithy kind of thoughts. And this is what Kirk does. He does, he gives you like this huge nugget of information at the same time. He's he's grabbing you. He's being physical with you. And he's saying that here. So Spock is saying Spock is saying stuff that doesn't make sense. I respected my father, our customs, blah blah. And Kirk is saying, We have to try the antimatter, you know, formula, interload we're gonna implode the engines and grabbing him and shaking him at the same time. And I'm not sure that you see that. I'm I'm saying this as I'm thinking it at the same time. How often do you see that in movies? TV shows even today where the person that's giving you the the actual mm, the formula of the thought process 
is also being physical with you at the same time. Does that make sense? Okay, I see what you're saying. Sure. Like I... even in the in any of the Avengers movies, you know. So mm. you know, Captain America is saying, "Hey, here's what we have to do to save the world." He's not smacking somebody around at the same time. No, he's not, and, and he's not starting out by grabbing their shoulders and like, "Hey, listen, this is what I need to do." Yeah, th- that's true. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. <laughs> I'm just noting that this seems this seems interesting to me at the moment now that we're discussing it. Okay, maybe it's a little dated. Is that where you're going with that? Oh, I wasn't, but do you think it is? Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but maybe it is. Maybe I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I had okay. I might have All to right. think about that a little more. All right, so. Eventually, well, we're about to learn something about Spock here. We're about, <laughs> we, about Spock's physicality. Oh, we are. I think we've learned this a little bit before, but it. it, it when did we learn it before? Um, we learned it in the episode. I'm trying to think of when. We, you, want, you want to say Man Trap? <sighs> I think you want to say Man Trap. I'm thinking about Man Trap because yeah, he does get into that little altercation. <laughs> nah, but not really. But not 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 like this. No, not like yeah. not like this. All right, this is me challenging you. No, this is the first time we're going to see some of Spock's physicality here. Where so Kirk tries to smack him around a few times to bring him out of it, <laughs> right? And he does it one too many times, and <laughs> Spock shows him the back of his hand, and Kirk goes flying over. The desk over like a nearby table, and it is literally the whole just, time that he's just, doing it. Yeah, he's saying we've got to risk implosion. We need the formula. Smack <laughs> at the risk of full power start. The engines were shut off. No time to regenerate. Do you hear me? We've got to risk a full power start. Respected my father, our customs. I was ashamed of my earth. Smack. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Never been done. <laughs> Now, right? yeah, absolutely. So Kirk backhands him, and after he gets backhanded, he gets up and he realizes, <laughs> now I've got the virus. I know. Yes, and and Kirk kind of has a, his own little meltdown here. Yes. Uh, Spock then remembers, and you know what's funny? It's as though when Spock backhands him, he not only does he spread the virus to Kirk, but he seems to have yeah. given him the virus. Like it's like the virus has left him because. It is like that, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, Spock seems to be back to normal or very close to back to normal. He remembers that there's an intermix formula that might work. Yes. While Kirk is now starting to lose it himself. Because what the, what Kirk needs, and this is important for you know our show here, is that what Kirk is looking for is the exact formula for this theory. And that only Spock is able to find it because only Spock has a computer. <laughs> <laughs> this entire <laughs> yeah, obviously they don't have the internet in the 23rd century. Right? No, they, they, no, 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 there's no, no, no. Google to, to look up intermix formula. <laughs> no, no, no. I think Google doesn't like Star Trek, but that's probably another podcast. One day we'll have oh Google on as a as as a guest star. We'll ask them what they think about Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, we can just type it in. Google, what do you think about Star Trek? All right. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> On the bridge, this is great. This is great. Okay. On the bridge, Kirk walks in after having, you know, lost lost it a little bit. After having complained about how he's got a a, a beautiful yeoman, but wait, 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 he, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to skip past that. I'm sorry, I don't want to skip past that too much. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your feeling about that. About what? About Shatner's performance because he just now Shatner. This is the performance that Takei was regretful that he missed 
So he saw Nimoy's performance when he got the when he got the virus. Yes. And he and he thought that that was fantastic. And then he you know he wasn't around for the rest of the, the rest of the episode because of the way the shooting uh, sequence went. And what he heard from other people was that it was phenomenal. And when he watched the episode later with uh, with some family in Wisconsin or someplace like that, he couldn't believe how great it was. Really? That's, That's what he said. Yeah. That's what he wrote in his book. I, 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 what do you think? I, he, he's good. I think Shatner's good. I, I don't think Shatner's been – he has not been bad to me uh, the entire time. I've liked him in every episode. And, yes, in this sequence where you know he's losing it and he's l- having all these laments come out, uh, he's, he's fine. He's, it's very good, I would say. Well, okay, so but there are some things here that I want to note. Is that like like number one is that here's where he's making it clear. I think this is going to change, by the way, but he's making it clear that he is completely devoted to the ship. He can't have a girlfriend. He can't have a wife. Yes. He can't even like, right? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So like the ship is everything to him. He takes this not like it's a step to another level he's not trying to rise to some other uh rank in the you know in starfleet he wants to be this and well at least that's what appears to me oh and, yeah yeah he, and, and and he says like um i'm never I, he we talks about the ship he says I, i'll never lose you right yes yeah I'm glad you said that yes yeah. right 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 and then he says now i know why they you know they call her she you yes, know. that's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. And then he gets into the uh, into the. I don't know if it's. I don't know if you call it an elevator. I should look this up. It looks but like an elevator. The, Seems like an elevator. I know, right? It does, right? Yeah. But he gets in there and he's thinking about everything and he's like trying to keep it all together. Yes. And doors close and he looks to his left and he sees <laughs> some maniac that wrote "sinner repent," which means nothing. I think. Just, you know, painting. (laughs) All right. It's great. It's great that there's graffiti on the starship in this episode. I love it. It's also the first time that he finally wipes off the fake blood off of the, you know, the corner of his mouth. Oh yeah, he has had that sitting there for for a few minutes now from that 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 backhand that he got. Yes. Now when he walks on the bridge, yeah, uh, McCoy McCoy is ready with the antidote. Right, and luckily for McCoy, yeah, Starfleet issued uh, shirts are not very. <laughs> Apparently, what would you say? I would say the shirts are clearly made of paper because what? Yeah, what? he he ribs open God. a hole. <laughs> on, he grabs his shoulder and rips it open so easily, and then just injects him with the antidote. It's, it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And Kirk just acts like nothing has happened. Yep. Ripped open my shirt. And I'm just going to go <laughs> sit on the so sit crazy. in my captain's chair with my shirt ripped open. That's right. Because there's nothing like, yeah. like, like that image of Kirk, you know, kind of beaten up a little bit. Because now he's got, you know, he, we saw him with the backhand and uh, he's a little messy yeah. looking. Yeah. And, that, and now the shirt is ripped. He's obviously, he's been through stuff. And now he's back uh, sitting in that chair. There is something to that image, I think. Yeah, you know what? There, it would have been better, no, though, don't you think? If he had still had the uh, the blood on his lip. Yes, absolutely. Right. I didn't think about that till just now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're right. He he walks through like 
you know, he's been through hell. Yeah. Right? And, like, why isn't that blood scene still there? You know? um, yeah. That's okay. But it is hilarious how easily that shirt rips. I, every, I, and you know what? As I was watching this as a five-year-old kid in, you know, in reruns or six or seven, whatever year, whatever age I was, it was it wasn't hilarious to me. It was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was hilarious yeah. that you were impressed by it, that that, that exactly. had some sort of an effect on it. That's what that is. Yeah, yeah I understand that. No, you're right. You're right, right. And <laughs> and, and, and then, then after that, he sort of like slowly walks to his chair. Yes. Everybody's staring at him. Yep. You know, so mm-hmm. Sulu's there, and he's been, you know, I guess he's been healed, and Yeoman's there. Yep. Yeoman and Rand. You know, obviously, you know, uh, McCoy's watching him, you know, get to his chair, and Uhura's watching him. And the other navigator is, you know, now that Riley's gone, we don't know what happens to Riley, I guess, at this point. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to find out unless he shows up in another episode. Well, we will see Riley later. Oh, we will. Uh, okay, that's good. I promise you we will. But um, everybody's just sort of watching him, and then he gets into his chair, he struggles in there, and. You know, you get a bunch of close-ups on him and Takei and uh, and McCoy, and they're all like waiting for him to like say something. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because you know they they are on sort of a time crunch. You know, right? And yeah. It's like okay, engine room, we're set, and now they're going to do the the formula thing, right? Yes. Right, and so you and I both being huge, huge, phenomenal Marvel comics fans. We know something about antimatter and matter, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I know plenty about it. What is it that you know? <laughs> I don't know anything about antimatter. What are you talking about? <laughs> you don't know. You don't know anything about antimatter and matter. Uh, no, not not actually. No. Oh, oh, okay. Well, just for the for the for the one or two fans that are still listening. Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I know something about antimatter and matter mm-hmm. and it comes from the fantastic four of course and apparently and danny feel free to edit this out later <laughs> don't worry i'll get the scalpel ready right now watching the time code on this so you can get it later yeah 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 okay yes yes well so apparently there's a thing well so you you have positive ions and negative ions and if they ever meet then the entire universe explodes <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And so this came up in the Fantastic Four because Reed Richards had an antimatter chamber. So, like our world, our universe, oh our existence is made of matter. Yes. There is a complete opposite universe made of the opposite. It's called antimatter. And if, and if they should ever meet, everything everything explodes. And so you could. If, if done correctly, you could go into the antimatter universe. But if you if going through the antimatter universe, you know, shower curtain, you know, a couple of pieces of matter went through, everything dies, everything explodes, Ugh. everything doesn't exist. Anymore. All right, you, you don't know that? I thought you knew that. No, listen, did you have to make this even nerdier? It's already a Star Trek podcast. Now we got to talk about. Now we got to talk about the Fantastic what, Four. What's the matter? Come on. But, what they're doing on this episode, right? So they're yes. saying, like, if you try to find a way to have antimatter, you know, work with matter with this other formula, and then you could make, you know, put it into the engine with a certain formula, then 
the engines actually, they don't explode, but they implode. And the implosion of the engine sends you spiraling super fast, crazy fast. Like, you know, you're on, you know, you're in fifth gear when you expect it to be in first gear. You know, you're not in control of it. You're just shooting out like a fucking rocket with no control. But that's this. But they're in that desperate situation. That's what they're in. You're the N80 rocket on, you know, the Fourth of July. Get me the fuck out of here. That's that's what the situation that they're in. And that is exactly what has happened. All right. So yeah, we right. the ship blasts out. We get a large noise. Uh, Spock comes back to the bridge, and Spock lets them know we are now traveling faster than what is possible. Right. Which, what what's what happening here, Joey? We're, we're now in a time warp. That's what's happening. That's how fast that we're going. We've entered into yeah. a time warp. And okay, here's what's really funny about this. All right, they okay. they enter into a time warp. They do this by you know we know this by looking at at the time. We see the star date and whatever that other number was that was uh, you know, that's supposed to be going <laughs> forward and is now going backwards. And that's how we know yeah. that we're going backwards in time. And it doesn't make I, any I want, sense. I want to remember that. I want to remember that when when Sulu says my chronometer is running backwards. Chronometer. All- there you go. My chronometer is running backwards. Sir. And it is digital. <laughs> I think later we're going to see clocks that are not digital. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice. I think so. I don't, I don't remember when, digital. but I believe, I'm just telling you, I believe later at some point, chronometers are not digital. <laughs> okay. Well, eventually they get back to normal speed and time gets normal again. And they've gone back, according to Spock, 71 hours. And... Spock lets him know. Well, looks like we now have the ability to go anywhere right. we want in time. We could go right. anywhere we feel like. And Kirk is just like, well, all right, that's good knowledge to have right now. And then everyone right. is just kind of together and quiet, and no one is freaking the hell on out that they just oh. traveled through time three days. Like, no right. one is is having the proper attitude about this, which is, oh, my God, we just traveled through time. No one does that, right. which is what they should be doing. Like, well, everyone should one be reaction. losing their mind. Yeah, this one. What's the reaction? The one reaction that I love? Yeah. Again, Shatner. Not those three days. We've regressed in time, 71 hours. It is now three days ago, Captain. We have three days to live over again. Not those last three days. Yeah, not those three days. You're right. (laughs) Uh, Talk about, hey, look, I don't think you're seeing the forest for the trees here, Shatner. Uh, I think you're missing out on the... You're missing the point there, Kirk. Yeah, it's not, right. it has nothing to do with those three days. <laughs> I know. I know. You're 100% right. <laughs> it's it's disappointing mm-hmm. that they didn't freak out like what we should have expected they should freak out. Like, what? Yeah. We can do this? Um, I got a couple of theories about that. Um, remember that when Spock, Spock explains that they went through, that they, that they just went through time. Three days, and Kirk says time warp. So it's not like when he just simply says time warp, it means to me that, or it signifies to me that they're aware that they that these things exist. 
not necessarily that they know how to do them, but it makes sense to him. Then the next thing is, well, mm-hmm. everything you just said. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the show just kind of ends, actually. It's really weird how the show just sort of ends on that note with, yep, now we can travel through time. And it's funny because it's almost as though at some point they, they, they decided, you know, we should have it where they can go through time like anytime we want. Let's just put this in here. And it's as though they're they're saving a, a chip that they can play in a later episode if they want to play it. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. I have I have a little background on that. Okay. So this is actually written to be part one of a of a situation of a storyline where they where they go back in time. Ah, see, that's good to have. That's yeah. good to have. Yeah, because and they it, are, and they will. There is so whatever was supposed to be part two. Does come up. It's another episode that's coming up, and it's going to be a great episode. Okay, that's very... you're actually going to be very, very, very familiar with one of the actors in that episode. Okay, I'm all right. I'm, I, I look forward to this. All right, so we're we're done. We've reached the end. Okay. Of, of this one, uh, I, I, let me tell you. Okay. Yeah. I, I I don't understand the title "Naked Time." I will tell you though, I really like this one. I. And the, Did you really? I liked this one a lot because it was oh. the plot was a little it's a little simple, but I kind of liked that about the plot. I liked that it was kind of simple. I liked that there was an urgency to it. All right, we've got twenty minutes, we got a problem to solve, and then we've got all these okay. other problems as well. You know, at first when it's just the virus and people are acting wacky, you know, it's okay. It's fine. I'm I'm definitely still enjoying it. But once it was all right. We have 20 minutes before we get too close to this planet and we explode and we've got to solve this issue. The urgency of that made it cool. All of a sudden, it, it everything felt a little little heightened, which is what I believe they're going for there. That's really interesting to me because I thought you might have told me – I thought you would tell me the opposite of what you said. I thought you would not enjoy the show. I thought you would um, that you would be thinking that okay, this is a lot of the characteristic type things that I've heard and read about and thought about the show, which in some ways is true. Um, you know, the iconic moments, if you take them out of context from this episode, um, you know, you could see you could you could extrapolate and say, oh well, you know, Sulu's an idiot. You know, right? <laughs> right? Could, couldn't you? Right? I, you know, McCoy. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, you yeah, know, like well, it, definitely McCoy. It's not a good episode right? for McCoy, by the way. <laughs> it's not a good well, episode. For well, him. no, I, I wouldn't agree with you. He does save the day. Well, well, he does save the day. And you know what's funny is that he saves the day, but it's almost incidental to the plot, the way that they have it. You know, it's it's never – we don't really understand how he saves the day. It's just, all right, here, here, look, whoa, whoa, here's, whoa. A, here's a few lines of that's explaining that he has figured it out. Uh, he's He goes ahead and he's – he is you want to close up of the camera into the microscope? <laughs> what, what well, there's want? there's no moment where there's a, there's no eureka. We don't even see the lab oh. that he's ever in that, that he keeps talking about. He spends well, time talking to some uh, compromised guy on the intercom. He's a jerk to Spock uh, for no particular reason. Uh, Kirk has to yell at him because he doesn't get the impossible done like he's supposed to. And then he does. <laughs> then he does rip off uh, Kirk's shirt. He he also gets to do that. Come which is oddly, which on. is oddly entertaining at the same time. 
So I don't think and, it's, it's I don't think it's his strongest episode. That's a lot. Wait, wait, wait! You just wait, wait, wait! I thought you just said you loved the episode. Now you say it's not the strongest episode. No, no, it's not McCoy's strongest episode. Oh, oh, oh. well, like, but this is only his second episode, though. It's, it's, it's whatever. It's fine. Well, I'm, whoa, saying, whoa, wasn't, whoa, I'm saying it wasn't a good episode for him. <laughs> it wasn't a good McCoy. It was not a good episode for for Doctor McCoy. I think it's a pretty good episode. That's fair. I'm just telling you, so for the listeners, I kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think his worst moment is the fact that he says, well, you know, I've lost a lot of people on the table before. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, he does. he does. See? <laughs> I, I didn't even... <laughs> That's right. I didn't even think about that. Watch, just, just stands there and watches Joe die. Didn't add that to the list of things that McCoy does in this one. Uh, yeah, I wasn't saying. No, no, no. That's not what I said. No, I know that's, that's not what you said, but I, you've yeah, reminded me of that to add it to his right, list. That's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. But he does say when he's explaining it to Kirk. Oh, I've lost a lot of guys. Yeah, I <laughs> Just Which, by the way, that's not your job. Yeah. It's to save guys, not to lose them. <laughs> but he says, I lost a lot of guys, but this is the first one I've ever lost where the guy, you know, didn't fight hard or something. <laughs> whatever, however, what he said. That's not the best thing he ever could have said. I know what they no. were trying to do. Yes. They're trying to, or at least, you know, the character of McCoy is trying to intimate that, listen, this is really bizarre because. I save people all day long, and the only people I di- I can't save are unsavable. I think that's kind of what he's. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, no like, I do it. Yes, I, that's exactly what he's saying. He's like, look, this is really his point is I've this I've never seen this before. This is not yeah. the way it was supposed to be. Uh, right. Anytime I've lost someone, I understand why I've lost someone. Not this. This doesn't make sense to but, me. And not only that, mm-hmm. uh, like their their or their their major organs have been compromised. And, you know, the damage to a point where we can't, we can't, you know, save them. But in this case, it is kind of interesting because it's like, well, why is Joe the one guy that has to die? Like, if I'm going to be critical of the episode, like, what, are you telling me that Joe really, really, he has no, he, he had no what, will to live, man. He had no will to that, live. That That's what it brought out of him. I don't know. Right. Joe's an incredibly, incredibly weak character. And if he was that weak, why would he even be down there to begin with? Uh, it, How it, would he have made it this far? It's a great, great question. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? It make, it, that, that, intimate, that automatically makes no sense at all. So, yeah. like, all of that stuff is weird. Like, that to me is – that's a bit of a hole in, in the writing of that particular episode. When, right? when, so he, like, when he did die, I yeah. thought it was that the virus eventually kills you. That was my initial thought, and then yeah, I, 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 I kind yes. of, I kind of forgot about it until you brought it up right now. I hadn't even thought about it, but yeah, you're right. That's that. That's got to be how he dies. He dies because he is talking about how he no will doesn't want to doesn't want to go on. Well, okay, but so the way so what this episode is telling us is that this particular virus, this contagion, when it gets you, it brings it develops it brings out your your like the. The thing that's going to hurt you the most, mm-hmm. you know, now I've read a lot about this episode, right? So some people, some of the writings that I've read say that, oh, it's the, uh, it brings out, it, it loosens your inhibitions and, you know, you're more likely to do things that you would not normally do. But that's not exactly true. In this, in this episode, these people are doing things that are harmful to themselves. Look at ev- everything that happened on that planet. 
right? Those people kill themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. So these are people that it's it's not fair to say that oh they just got drunk, you know. Oh, this is just you know some sort of alcohol type of you know uh, you know content that gets in your bloodstream, which is kind of how McCoy describes it, which is a really bad description. <laughs> yeah, right. Not, not great. This is not. This is not somebody getting slightly drunk, yes. or even wickedly drunk, yes. right? This is this is something else. But but Spock also says something else late, earlier in the episode, like it heightens some other some deeper inhibitions within you, uh, with within each person. Because like we'll never see this again from Takei, from Sulu. He's never gonna like go shirtless. And by the way, you know, and like you know kill people or try to kill people damn right i'm sorry i'm sorry oh i have one other oh one my other god nugget. all right get to it i gotta give you my rating for goodness sake you know i'm dying for that oh okay and, I, I'm, and I'm also <laughs> nervous by the way like every time i say something i'm like am i killing you your rating or am i like helping your rating yeah, i'm you, very 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 concerned about that you're not affecting it one way or another i can tell you that my mind is okay. steadfast, so you're good. Okay. All right. So so he had his trailer, and he's sitting there. He's eating breakfast one day, and he's all excited about the fact that he's been working out with Faulkner, who turns out to be the double for uh, Basil Rathbone. He's really excited about all this stuff, which, by the way, between you and me, no one else is listening, right? It's just us. Okay. Yeah. I does he know that no one else knows that it was just him? It doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in his trailer. Yeah. And the, the I think the director comes in, Mark Daniels, who's the director of this. Great director. And I believe he's the guy who comes and says, hey, uh, George, I'm just thinking. And now George has been in there. He's uh, he's eating breakfast. He's got milk, you know, he's, he's eating, you know, cereal. He says, hey, listen, I got another idea. Um, take off your shirt for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Takes off the shirt. Okay, let's do it without the shirt. Okay, fine, I'm in. And so just before his uh, his scene, now he's doing push-ups and sit-ups. And he's like, no. Nope. Yes, 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 yes. That's exactly what yeah. I would be doing, too. That's exactly oh, what I would no. be doing. Heck, yeah. I know, right? Like, I'm not making fun of the guy. It's just, it's so humanizing to read that, you know, to like, no. Oh, yeah, because I would do the same thing. Absolutely. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. It, right. And I would be saying, you know, you couldn't have told me this two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Come right. on. I think we're going to have a shirtless scene. Damn it. <laughs> Day of? Come on. Give me some time. Hey, look, there's no question about the fact that he looks great without the shirt. He does. Absolutely. He does. Yeah. He does. He's got nothing he to worry about. He does. And he, and, but the way he writes about it is like he felt like he looked even better for whatever oh. reason so uh, I, I'm happy for him alright are you ready to move on now all I want to know right now is please the Radio Dan alright the Dan you're already what do you got 
All right, so let's see. Our goal is a hundred thousand, and we're at thirty-five. That's where we left off. We, we left at, at thirty-five. At thirty-five. And when we left at thirty-five, you you were moved because you of the Shatner character. That's you were true. Moved to the That's book. true. That yeah. made the most. That made the biggest difference to you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this one has yeah. a number of things going for it. Uh, we have emotional Spock. Uh, we have we have a, we have a good emotional Kirk scene. We've got a shirt ripping. We've got uh, a shirt. <laughs> we've got a shirtless Sulu, and we have the overall urgency of the situation. I would add all of. I would give ten points for all of those points for all of those um, things that I just mentioned. That's five things. Fifty points for this one. We're moving ahead fifty points. So from thirty-five, we're now at eighty-five. Wow. How about that? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I would... <laughs> Getting I closer say... to 100,000. Yeah, well, I would say... Um, yeah. That's good, because it does seem... In some ways, it's good, because, like, definitely it's the biggest leap. It's our biggest right? leap. That's right. Right. We've never gotten 50 points. That's right. This, this is where no Dan... Has gone before, that's, right? That's right. I have not. Right? Come, I have not gone this far. To You've not gone fifty points. That's right. I have not gone this far. Where we're still right. less than one percent of the way there. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> right, right, right. It's it's. Uh, I I have to admit, <laughs> this may be surprising to you. Uh huh. Go ahead. I am mildly disappointed that we're not further along. <laughs> well, I may I may see a really good one and bust out a thousand points. So we'll see. Don't worry. Oh, oh, a whole thousand. Yeah, I can, look. We could go fifty thousand in, in an episode. It depends on how much I like it. We could go through fifty thousand. Yeah, that's right. We could make the leap very quickly. I mean, really, if, if things improve, you know what I'm saying? No. Well, yeah. well, let me ask you. So now, mm-hmm. so then, that leads me to a great question for you. All right, go ahead. Think you need? I'm sorry. What is it that you think you need? Mm-hmm. Do you think you need like a great, uh, you know, foil, a great, uh, a great, uh, a great enemy? I just need to be entertained. Uh, I just need to be entertained in a mildly yes, thought provoking way. Like you've been inter- but it sounds like you've been entertained so far. I, off and uh, on. Well, what, what's missing? I, I, I why don't, are we I don't not know. even? Why it, are we not like? 50,000 points ahead. Oh, my God. Really? On episode five, you're going to sit here and ask me this question? Hey, hey. Listen, you're the one that set the set the, set the rating. Uh, I mean, I, I think maybe by episode 20, you could start having these thoughts and complaints in your head. But you're a little early no, on I'm, for this. Well, I'm afraid because after, after 20, it's probably not very good. <laughs> after 20, you know, don't worry. We'll be getting... We'll, not for we'll, sure. We will, sure. We can evaluate 20 when we get to 20. Right now, we're at, like, you know, about five, four. I mean, really, it, it, I think it's the fifth episode of this show, of this podcast, but it's the fourth episode of Star Trek, right? But we've only done four. We've only gone through four episodes of the actual series. One, The first one was the pilot that doesn't, that doesn't really count. The cage doesn't count. Yes? Oh, yeah. Right? right. Yeah. All right. So, come on. Be happy that we're at 85. Whew. What a leap. How exciting. <laughs> Be happy that we're at 85. Okay. Yeah. What a leap. Oh, my goodness. My legs are tired from all that jumping we just did. 
Okay, so what is your analysis of the show through these four episodes? Um, so far, I've I have definitely been enjoying it. It's uh, a little on the goofy side at some points, which I kind goofy? of yes, I I kind of enjoy when things are a little on the goofy side. Uh, I enjoy seeing things that I I'm I'm not used to seeing when it comes to something like Star Trek. Like you know, you kind of always have certain images of you know them on the bridge. I always like when I think of an episode of Star Trek, I think of the bridge, and I think of them on some planet. That's pretty much it. They're on the bridge, and they're looking at that giant TV screen, and there's something very <laughs> unconvincing that's on that's on the giant TV screen. Like whatever, right, right, it's a right. very, it's okay. a very. They have, it's always on the very. Uh, it's always on the the bad sci-fi channel. It's always on the cheesy sci-fi channel. Like, oh, what is that? That doesn't look very real yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. So those okay. are the things. So the more time that we spend away <laughs> from those places, from planets with matte paintings and the bridge watching the big television so when we're in when we're in sick even sick bay is kind of cool when we're in that cafeteria that's my favorite place and the transporter room is cool the engine room had a cool look to it it it, it, it had a matte painting in there which actually kind of dig so i i always like things like that when it's when it seems to be changing it up and it's a little different so Let's, but right right now, so wait, I'm wait. definitely enjoying the show, and I'm enjoying the characters. I like Kirk a lot. I like Spock a lot. How does that? And, does that help okay. you? I think that's great. Right. I think it's great. All right. Okay. So, all right. So, looking ahead. Yes. What's our next episode? Okay. So, I want to make it clear to you. Yes. So, like oh, that. <laughs> when I oh, those are not good words for me to say, right? What? When I want to make a clue to you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. Um, actually, I like this episode, but I don't love it. For me, this is a good episode because it's, like, it's iconic. Because this is the episode where we learn who the characters are. For, for better or for worse, we, understand, we start to understand, you know, everybody's inner feelings and, you know, their, you know where they come from. And really, I guess for the most part, we understand it most because of uh, you know Spock and Kirk, and actually mm-hmm. even more, it's actually a Spock episode in some ways, right? We really start to understand that Spock is a guy, even though he's an alien. We do understand that actually he does have emotions, but he controls them. It's not that he doesn't have them; he spends a huge amount of energy every day controlling yeah. suppressing everything yes right right yes. right yeah. and right so the vulcan side of him may not have emotions but this earth side does and we don't know enough about that yet but that to me is like the big thing about this episode right so we know that you know Takei or sulu you know wants to be a swashbuckler we know a little bit more about kirk who it's going to change unfortunately and we're going to get into the caricature of him later, of him, you know, kissing everybody left and right. <laughs> oh, that's but, right. That hasn't happened. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Is that true? Lothario Kirk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's right, get that right, going. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> and that's going to suck a little bit for me. But <laughs> it is. I Actually, in some of those times, it won't. But... um but, you know, it's going to be a thing. It's like, this is where it's going. The show is really going well. 
I like what Nimoy's bringing to it. There's going to be some other issues coming up. Um, the next episode is phenomenal. It's called The Enemy, the Enemy Within. Wow, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? The Enemy Within. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny, but it is. <laughs> All right, I'm good. So The Enemy Within is our next episode. All right, very good. Looking forward to this. This is a really good episode. Um, I suspect you may have seen it, but I'm not sure. Okay, there, you, know, well, you know, I Somehow know that I've seen, have. I have seen several of them, and those are going to come up at some point where there's going to be episodes right. that I've seen. I, I know. Well, you should tell happen. me when when that happens. I will. I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Although I will tell you, the ones that I know that I've seen. I don't necessarily remember it all that well, so it's not as though. No, and that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna. Right? So like, I'm just gonna know that I've actually, seen it. Actually, that should be a thing. That should be a thing you tell me. You know, going in. Sure. Like, I think I've seen this one. I'm not sure, or I've seen this one and I know it well, or okay. something like that. Right. Yes. Okay. That would be interesting to know. But I have a feeling that somehow you've seen this episode, and uh, Yeoman Rand has a big, uh, oh, uh, beehive. Huge one. Huge moment. Oh, okay. It's a big moment? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, huge yeah. Moment. It's a huge moment for her. I see. All right, very good. Well, I look forward to doing that with you next time. And, well, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody who listened to this. Thank you for joining us uh, this time on Attempting Track. We'll be back again next time I'm looking at the enemy within. Joey. Fans, you've got the con. <laughs>